Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. What if this is the end? A lot going on in our world, pandemics, wars, all kinds of stuff happening. What if this is it? What if this is the last service you're ever in? What if this is the last time you hear the gospel preached? What if this is the end? Are you ready for that? If you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, you probably heard a lot of this growing up. And some of it was great, some of it was helpful, some of it was, you man, we need to be ready, and, and that's great. But some of it maybe got a little bit off and got a little bit kind of too focused on, my goodness, I think this person is the Antichrist, and then that person dies, turns out it wasn't them. And then I turned to this person, the Antichrist, or you've probably heard many groups who said, you know, the end of the world is coming today, and the end of the world is coming next week. The end of the world actually came a few days ago, we must have missed it, you know. I've heard it a lot. I just want you to know, I've done a lot of work this week, a lot of reading, and I know when the end is coming. No, I don't. And neither do you. Neither do you. I can tell you there is an end. And I can tell you that unlike so many things in life, when you know when it's going to happen, right? You, you know when you have a, an assignment due. You know when you have to complete something. Even a woman knows that eventually the baby is going to be born, right? You cannot stay in there more than about nine months. Eventually it's going to have to come out. You can kind of time that out. You know not exactly when, but you know sort of when. But no one knows when their end is going to be, and no one knows when the end is going to be. So today we're going to talk about that subject. What if this is the end? Now we're not going to cover every bit of prophecy in the next 30 minutes. We're not going to cover all the issues of Daniel chapter 7 through the end of the book and Revelation chapters 4 through 20. And we're not going to identify all the beasts and we're not going to get into all that. It's important. But we are going to answer the question of how do we live in light of this world is going to end. So we know some things. We know the end is coming. We know the end is coming when we don't expect it. We know that Jesus will return. We know that he will rescue his people. We know that evil will be dealt with permanently. We know that there is a new heaven and a new earth that Jesus is preparing for us, which is going to be far more amazing than any experience you have ever had. Think of the greatest fun, the greatest thrill, the greatest joy, the most amazing place you've ever been, the greatest experience you've ever had, and multiply that by, I don't know, infinity, and that's what heaven is going to be like. Some people think, well, I don't really want to go to heaven because it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Let me tell you, it's going to be amazing. Don't be fooled. You see, evil is really bad. And that's part of what's happening today, is God is letting us see and understand that evil is really, really bad. And it's not funny when people say, oh, I just want to be evil. I just want to have evil. I think it's really great to embrace some evil. No, you listen, evil is going to be punished. It's horrible. It ends in death. We know that God's going to punish evil. 
He's going to judge the evil. But he's going to save those who have been faithful. He's going to save his people. So today, we want to look at Matthew's chapter 24 and 25. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus talks about the end times when he is himself about to be crucified. This is in Passion Week. This is Jesus as he's about to be crucified. He's telling his followers what to anticipate, what to expect in the next days, in the next age, really in our age. Jesus has just left Jerusalem, and he's been there with his disciples, and, and they've looked at the temple, and they've said, oh, Jesus, aren't these, be- aren't these buildings beautiful? And he said, not one stone will be left on top of another. And his disciples are shocked because they're like, this is God's connection with us. This is what we understand God to be like is this temple. This is How can we worship without this temple? And Jesus is about to replace the temple with himself and with his people. And so he takes them across the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives, which is this, this hill that overlooks Jerusalem. And you can see across, you can, see, you can go there today, and you can see across the Kidron Valley, and you can look on the walls of Jerusalem, and you can see where the temple used to stand. There's now a, a Muslim mosque there. And you can kind of see what Jesus must have seen as they looked out, and they, they, you can imagine what the temple must have looked like. And he teaches them these two chapters about how to live in the last days, because I need to tell you, this really could be the last day. And we need to live in that reality. We need to feel that. We need to understand that this could be the very last day. So join me in reading Matthew chapter 25, beginning at 24, beginning in verse 4. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 4. The word of the Lord says this, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to, tri- to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then... The end will come. This is kind of a summary of the end times. And if you read the following verses, Jesus will get a little more specific. We won't cover that today, but I want us to see some key points about what it's going to be like to live in the end days and how we need to think about it. The first thing we need to understand is it's not going to get better. The world is not going to get better. Yes, there'll be times of peace, but the times of war will be worse and more intense. There will be more difficulty. There will be more challenges. Just like a woman who's pregnant knows, the initial birth pains are not as bad as it's going to get. Amen, ladies? When you start to feel those pains, you don't say, oh, I'm sure that's the worst it's going to be. You just know intuitively that it's going to get worse. The pain is going to be more severe. It's going to be more intense. It's going to be closer together. That's exactly what Jesus 
says is going to happen. When you see wars and rumors of wars, that's just the beginning. And he talks about this reality that people will try to, try to confuse us and try to distract us and try to get people off, off, the, off following Jesus Christ. Those who say, this is the Christ, that's the Christ, and they'll get people all confused and people trying to lead us astray. And he says, you're going to be hated. There's going to be tribulation like we've never seen. It's, it's going to be bad. People are going to haul you in and they're going to wind up martyring some of you and it's going to be difficult. See, when we think about the end times, we need to understand it's not going to get better and we need to be ready to suffer. And I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we somehow have this idea that we shouldn't have to suffer. And some eschatological plans have it that you really are going to miss the tribulation. Well, listen, there's already been tribulation, amen? I don't want to offend you, but if you think you're not going to suffer, I don't think you've read the Bible. Everyone suffers, especially the followers of Jesus. Don't think that you're not going to suffer. Someone say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't like to suffer. No one does, right? But I want you to think about it. People will risk death for all kinds of reasons. People will risk death defending their country. Praise the Lord for that. People will risk death to have a thrill, right? To drive a race car really fast, to climb a mountain, to do all sorts of things, to drive on I-95, right? It's getting exciting out there, isn't it? I feel like, well, let's not go there. Um, Wouldn't it be worth it? to risk death, or to even die in order to spend eternity with Jesus? I mean, wouldn't that be like the greatest, the greatest deal you could make? Trade this life for that? We shouldn't really be afraid that you might have to suffer, you might have to die, because Jesus is worth it, right? He's so worth it. He's preparing this place that's so amazing. I mean, we should be kind of excited about that. I got to tell you, the older I get and the more challenging the word gets, I'm I'm getting pretty excited. The day is going to come when we're going to be in heaven with him. And it's going to be amazing. And it could be today. You see, we need to be positive about what Jesus is doing in these days. The first thing we need to do is think about, how do I live in these days? I need to be positive about what Jesus is doing. Don't sit around going, this is awful, it's terrible, I can't... Jesus is allowing evil to reign for a while so people see how bad it is. So the people have the opportunity to repent and come to Jesus. Be positive about what Jesus is doing. We need to live with a joyful empathy. There needs to be incredible joy because he's saving you. But there also needs to be an empathetic sadness for those that haven't received him yet. It's kind of a life intention. On one hand, I'm joyful. On the other hand, I'm sad for those that are missing it. That's the zone that we need to live in. God, I'm so excited about what you're doing, but I'm sad about those who are missing it. We need to live in a very po- we need to be very positive about what Jesus is doing in these days. Don't be depressed. Don't be afraid. Don't be sad. Simply live in the reality that this is what God is doing, and I trust him with it. Second, we need to be prepared. 
Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, says this. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came and were saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is saying we need to be prepared for him to come at any time. This wedding feast is not that different from what we do today. The, what would happen is the, uh, the bride and the groom would have their ceremony or their, their legal time to say we're, we're husband and wife. That would happen either near or at the bride's home. And then there would be this procession to the groom's home, to the celebration, if you would, for the actual reception or the, the wedding feast, the, the goings-on that would last for a long, long time. And the bridegroom's role, I mean the bridesmaid's role, which is what the virgins were, bridesmaids, their role was to celebrate with, um, and light the way with their lamps. Kind of like sparklers today, only better. Um, and so there would be an oil lamp, and they would take these lamps, and they would kind of light the way, and it would be a celebration of the procession. Then they would all enter into this reception hall or the, the groom's home, and they have this incredible celebration. That's how it was supposed to go. But five of the bridegrooms, I mean the bridesmaids, showed up without any oil. They had a lamp, though. Maybe they had just a little oil in case it only lasted a little while. I don't know what they were thinking. You know what? They looked like they were ready, though, because they had a lamp. No one could see that there was nothing on the inside. And Jesus is saying to us today, you need to be prepared for me to come at any time. Don't just look prepared. See, a lot of people show up at church or they, they say to Jesus, I look prepared, I look the part, I've got the right lingo, I've got the right uh, Christian handshake, I, I know how to act. I, I look the part, but there's nothing on the inside. See, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. It says, I'm, I'm ready for you to come. I'm excited for you to come, Jesus. The, the five bridesmaids who didn't have any oil must have been kind of terrified that he was actually going to come, or, or maybe they thought he wasn't going to show up at all. They weren't ready. This weekend, Julie and I have had the, the privilege of having our little one-year-old granddaughter, Eileen, with us. And, uh, you know, when you have a small child, it's a good idea to be ready. And Julie didn't wait till Sarah and Greg dropped Eileen off to get ready. Now, it turns out, I think we have more baby stuff on our house than we have my stuff. You know what I mean? 
And I'm grateful for that, right? You can't just take a baby and go, hey, I guess we better figure out where she's going to sleep. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should have some baby food. I don't think she can eat steak, you know? Um, but Julie's ready. She has diapers. She has milk. She has toys. We have all that kind of stuff because we know that she's coming. We're excited that she's coming. We want to enjoy her coming. We want to build a relationship with her for the rest of her life. We love this whole process. But yet, when people think of Jesus, do they prepare in the same way? Or is it just a thought that he's going to come, maybe? Or is it just a possibility that he's going to come, maybe? Or do we actually believe that he's coming? And we're going to be ready. You see, the... The bridesmaids couldn't go and get oil when, when, the bride, when the bridegroom comes. They went to the other bridesmaids and said, hey, can we have some of your oil? Hey, we're, we're, it's time. We need some of your oil. It's like saying to someone, hey, I need some of your spirituality. You see, you can't marry that. You can't befriend that. It comes only through Jesus Christ. You see, you can have friends and family that will help you, absolutely, but what happens in your heart, that's between you and Jesus. And if you didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit, when He comes, you're going to miss out. It's a crazy picture. Bridesmaids come after they've gone and gotten oil. It's too late. The bridegroom has closed the door. And He says, I don't know you. In other words, if you didn't prepare, if it didn't matter to you that I paid your way to get into heaven, And it didn't matter to you to get prepared for that day. I don't know you. See, Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. Jesus knows his people, and his people prepare for his coming. And they're ready for the day when Jesus shows up. And yes, it could be today. So we need to be positive about what Jesus is doing. We need to be prepared for his coming. And third... We need to be productive with the investment he's given us. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14, says this. Jesus talks about what we need to do while we're here. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents. So also he who had the two talents made two two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the house of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he who will have an, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a very difficult parable. You see... Jesus has invested something in all of us if you're a follower of Jesus. He has offered you something. And for those who are truly His, they will take that and they will invest it and they will see reproduction happen. They will invest it in making disciples and helping others know Jesus. But some will say, you know what, I received this this news of salvation and I I just put it in my pocket right there. And I just kept it in there. And I never did anything with it. I mean, can you imagine someone giving you a check for a million dollars and you just put it in your pocket and you just wear it around for the rest of your life? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. The one guy, he took what God gave him and he did nothing with it. Remember the setting. Jesus is about to be crucified. And the ones who will crucify him are the ones that had the opportunity to know him but refused him. It's like they had the knowledge of God, but they didn't want to take it into their lives to the point that they would invest it anywhere else. And instead, they just held on to it. That was never God's plan for Israel. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham was called to be a blessing, what, to the entire world. You see, those who have received the gift of salvation through repentance and faith, they will invest what God has given them. They will desire to see it reproduced, to be able to bring something before Jesus when He comes and says, listen, this is what I did. This is what I did with the investment you gave me. It's called production. We need to be positive about what Jesus is doing in these days. We need to be prepared for Jesus' coming, and we need to be productive with the investment He's made. One of my mentors uh, early in our marriage is a man named Henry Brandt, and Henry was a brilliant author and psychologist and godly man, and he helped me a lot, and um, Julie and I spent a lot of time sitting at his feet, just listening and learning and growing. I hope you have those people in your life. Um, If you don't, I could introduce you to a few. Um, But one day, uh, uh, he said a woman just left, and that she had been with him over the weekend, and she'd he and, her, he and his wife had encouraged her and counseled her, and he, he said he gave her a bill for $1,500. I was like, Henry, I spent a lot of time with you. What do I owe you? Is there a bill coming? And he looked at me, and he said, you owe me production. I love that. So what do we do with what God has given me? We owe him production. What Henry was saying is, listen, I expect you to take what I've taught you. I expect you to to take the coaching that I've given you, and I expect you to go out and make a difference. See, Jesus says, "I, I gave you eternal life. I offered you eternal life. I expect production. 
I expect you to care enough about other people to go out and share this with them, to give them the opportunity to know me because the end is coming. And I want to rescue many. And along those lines, he closes this Olivet Discourse in verses 31 through 46 with the scene of judgment. The scene of judgment. Matthew 25, 31 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Let me tell you, there is a judgment day coming. Verse 32, Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And let me pause there for just a second. Understand that from a distance, sheep look like goats. If you've ever seen them out there, you've got to get close enough to kind of know. And it was a common thing. They would intermingle as, as shepherds would have them out there, but they had to be separated. And that's the scene. He separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, Then he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I got to stop there for a moment. See, Followers of Jesus don't even realize sometimes that they're fitting into his plan. They don't even know what they've done. Verse 40, and the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did, as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's a stunning scene. And when we think about, well, what gets a person to heaven? You're telling me that visiting people and caring for people and ministering to people, that that that's what it takes? That's all I really need to do is go out and care for the needy and care for the... No, that's, that's not the point at all. The point is, those who are followers of Jesus, who have received the gift of salvation, are passionate about the ones that Jesus is passionate about. Remember, Jesus didn't came to save the well, but the sick. He came to save those who were needy, who were poor, who were spiritually poor, who were spiritually destitute. And that's what he's saying. You need to care for people the way I care for people. My followers will be like me. They will want people to know me. They will not want people to be stuck in the prison of spiritual darkness. They will not want people to be spiritually uncovered and spiritually naked and exposed to the world. They will want people to be saved by me. They will care. They will be passionate about what I'm passionate about. 
You see, you can't start at the end and say, well, I'm just going to go be passionate about people. Now, the passion comes from loving Jesus Christ because you've received the gift of salvation. That's what drives us to be productive. That's all part of our preparation. That's a result of Jesus living inside of us. And this is serious business, folks, because the end is coming. And I believe we need to end, we need to, we need to live in light of the fact that today could be the end. Today could be the end. Are you living in light of today being the end? This morning, you, each of you are in one of three places. You were either saying, I'm ready. Praise God. Come, Jesus, come. Come today. I'm ready. My house is clean. I'm ready. I, I, I'm ready. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm trusting you, Jesus, and I'm, I'm being productive, and I'm passionate about what you're passionate about. God, please come. I'm ready. If you're there today, I want you to be praying for those who aren't. In just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to the altar. I would like for all of you to come. If you're ready for Jesus to come, come and pray for those who aren't. That joyful empathy. I want people to know Jesus. The second state that people are in today in this room, are they saying, you know what, I, I think I had an inter, uh, interaction with Jesus. I think I'm saved, but honestly, Steve, I haven't been productive. And I haven't been passionate about people. I really pretty much just got Jesus for me. And I kind of buried it in the ground somewhere. And I think that if I can just be saved, I just want to go on living my life as I've always lived it. Let me warn you, if that's where you are, I don't think you really know him. Because if you know Jesus, you want others to know him. You just do. There's all kinds of ways to let people know, but you just want that in your heart. So you're either ready for him to come, or you've, you feel like you may be saved, but you're just there's something holding you back. And usually that's a sin area in our lives. We said, God, I, I don't want to let go of that. I can't change my lifestyle. I just, this is who I am. I Listen, there's nothing more valuable than heaven. Nothing. No experience, no lifestyle, no sin area, no financial gain, no popularity gain. Nothing is worth more than being confident that he could come today and you'd be ready to meet him. So we're either ready or we don't think we're quite ready or maybe you've never received Jesus at all. And as you've heard this message today, you're thinking, I, Steve, I, I've never received him. Talked about it, thought about it. But I've never repented of my sin and said, Jesus, would you save me? Through faith and repentance, trusted Jesus to save you from your sin and the Holy Spirit to come into your life. You... You may be walking around today like a bridesmaid with an empty lamp. Come and be filled. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to the altar. This is a place that we come to pray. It's only special because we make it special by our presence. I want to encourage each of you to come. To either pray for those who don't know Jesus, or to repent of the sin that's keeping you from being ready, or to accept him for the very first time. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to join me here. I think this is a critical time in history. And know this, that today could be the day. Would you bow with me?
Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out, oh.